so I just gotta say, since this is our first ever um, podcast, I did pull out my Las Vegas party cup. Can you see that that's blinking? Our first oh, ever you... live Facebook podcast. You can't see it. No, it's really My hard. face is gonna be like this. What? I know. Okay, hold it closer. You can't even tell. Oh my gosh, what a disappointment. Sorry. Is it like hot pink? Is it light up? Uh, well, that's my crystal light. But oh. the glasses light up, yeah. The glass is lighting up. Oh, okay. No, I could tell that. I mean, it's hard to tell what's going on, but. So I got my party cup. I was like, well, if this is our very first podcast party, then let's get the party cup. Um, and additionally, before we get started um, on Brene Brown's new book and get into anything uh, super deep, Jesse, I have a really quick question. I've been waiting to ask you this all day. Mm -hmm. um, I made meatloaf last night and it's <laughs> crumbling. What did I not add enough of? Well, I would be willing to bet you probably used a ground beef that didn't have a high enough fat content because I just know you. So you're rocking the 90-10, which isn't going to help you. <laughs> I use 93-7 and it's okay, no gonna problem. Even, well, but then you're going to have to add some fat somewhere. So maybe some egg yeah. yolk or something that's going to... Look at Kayla's face. Yeah. Like, she's so guilty. What's your face you look like when I... No, I used eggs, but I used ground turkey. Oh, God. <laughs> That's not meatloaf. Yeah, why isn't it meatloaf? It's a meat in a loaf. Oh like, I feel like there's no... It, I didn't say beef meatloaf. <laughs> I feel like a, that was a critical... Implied. Yeah, it's a critical part of the story meat. that oh. we needed. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> well, now I know. <laughs> When you know Hello better, well. you do better. Oh my god! I'm still gonna use turkey. I'll just add another egg. <laughs> okay. Um, I put my meatloaf into little muffin tins, so it takes less time to cook, and my yes. kids love it because they have their own little personal meatloafs. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that's great. I just like in my 20s, I never felt like meatloaf was like a thing I wanted, and then I got into my 30s, and I'm like, you know, it sounds good. Meat and a loaf, yeah. and, and like yes, and cabbage with it. <gasps> oh, what? I've never had that. I should yeah. try that. Like sautéed cabbage and bacon grease. So good. Oh my! Oh my! Okay, well, my there's, world. There's no point in me using the turkey if I'm going to be cooking stuff in bacon grease. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not like a lot, just the flavor. That's good. Mm. Okay, fair enough. We only live once. That's a best they used trick to say. That yeah, look at that shoulder shake. We believe the power to change lives is within ourselves. We believe with the right attitude, anything can be accomplished. We believe the amount of knowledge and insight available is limitless. But we don't think life should be taken too seriously. Books that make us better. An alpha media podcast. Okay, so <laughs> we um, all have read our respective chapters of, uh, by the way, if anybody comments, we can see it. So there's a big difference between, uh, really. <laughs> Haven't you been hearing my baby scream? No. Oh, well, that's amazing because he's still awake screaming. Uh, so huge difference between Glennon Doyle's book and this book. Yes. Yeah. Am I right or am I right? So I'm far. Right. I think I'm... we have to, we haven't really got into the meatloaf, if you will, of, <laughs> of the guideposts. So I think setting the stage, yes, is great. But there was some a little bit of sage, stage setting in Untamed as well, but not mm -hmm. as much. Mm -mm. Well, no, and feels... Renee is a researcher by yeah. nature. So it feels very researchy. Her, yes. So her writing is going to be based in research, where Glennon is based in feeling and emotion. You know, different styles of writing, for sure. 
it's definitely been um i'm slower going yeah for sure i'm definitely highlighting way more yes um yes. and i mean for people who listened for the last one i commented on how much i uh was listening to the last book um and this one's really hard to like listen and take it in i mean i yeah, no, I've listened to a couple chapters like three times <laughs> trying to like absorb it. And then I'm going back and reading it instead because I'm just not taking it in. Have, did, have you tried using the text index thing that she talks about? Nope. Oh, my gosh. You Literally, you are such Lydia. a teacher. Oh, my God. You You're like, did you take did you take the, the, the quiz? The quiz. Did and did you are you using yes. this thing? Yeah, I'm I'm not. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Okay. This is why I need you. So yep. anybody that's listening and those of you, all the other members of our book club, um, the Brene Brown website has the inventory like pretest to take, which I highly recommend. But then in her integration chapter in the 10th anniversary edition. So if you don't have that edition, she might not talk about it. She yeah. uh, explains how she reads anything, like any books that she reads. She uses a text index strategy where she has four things that she looks for. And so, and she takes notes on. So her things were beautiful language, um, sh something she called FD or family dinner, something she wants to discuss at family dinner, um, share with Steve, which is her husband. And then so hard was her other category. So she just, as she read, she indexed anything that fell into those categories and then would like go back to them later or think about them later or talk about them later. And she gives text index for this specific book. So like, that can help I you want pull your out copy. the big things. I have well, your copy. Well, here she's. I freaking want it. 30% off at Target. Uh, I've had this copy for like two years. <laughs> I mean, I love that. Why does everybody uh, sound like So robots? the text index, though, is on her website, right? Yeah, I think you can get both. You can, you can do the inventory and then you can print out the text index because that's mm -hmm. what I did so that I could take like notes as i go when we get into like the guide posts so okay. cool good idea but i'm a nerd you're a teacher you're a teacher <laughs> you're a teacher you you use with the tools that are given to you yeah <laughs> the rest of us just yes jump in stumble through life with yeah nothing. quite literally same oh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah okay so <sighs> just so it. Anybody knows, um, if you go to Brene Brown's website, brenebrown.com, um, there's the lines like joop, joop, joop on the side. I'm certain by that noise, you'll know exactly where to go. And then <laughs> joop, joop, joop. And then you can see all like the printouts um, and downloads and guides. So mm. just okay. so everybody knows where to go. Yes. Yeah, she's great. But I, the biggest... And like Jesse said, maybe once we get into the guideposts, it won't feel this way. But like Glennon also told a lot of stories, but her stories mm -hmm. were really short. Mm -hmm. And I felt yeah. like we got to the meatloaf and potatoes immediately. Mm -hmm. With right. Brene's, they're like more extensive stories. And then we, we kind of get into it a little bit more slowly. And so sometimes I, I get lost in too many stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's not to say that it's not, it's not it's definitely good. It's oh, just, yeah. this is going to be slower going, I think. Yeah. Just fine. I so. almost think slower and almost quicker because when I was reading past chapter four, I was already 34% into the book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not, yeah. The pages are not, it's not as long as Brene or uh, Glennon Doyle's. No, it's pretty short. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Megan, you want to get this baby kicked off? I'm just going to be straight honest and say I'm like nervous because I don't, I don't feel like I can give a good, I don't know my, okay. So I have the introduction. It's an introduction. Um, so there's no stories here, but I do feel like she kind of sets the groundwork for what you're expecting from this book. It's more of an expectations kind of thing. Um, and it's, I think she, I mean, well, she talks about her research and how she's a shame researcher, but how this isn't about shame. It can be about perfectionism and then all the things that come with that, but that like perfectionism and shame are linked. Um, so I feel like in, in the intro, she is setting the stage for what we are expecting from the, the book, the gifts of imperfection and what this means. And she goes into it a little bit more so, and not in this chapter, so I won't go into it. Um, but she does, she does put a little story in there about how she had like a breakdown and, um, decides that she's going to get be done with this like easy button that she had had in her life where she would just dig deep, you know, and decide like, Oh, something's really stressful. I'm really tired. And I have a bunch of things all going on at once, but instead of giving up and giving into the emotions, she just digs deep and just powers through it, which a lot of people I think would think, okay, that's what we should be doing. She counters and says that she needed to take a break and like feel the emotions, you know, take a step back. Then she ends up coming up with a a little acronym for how to, I, it's not like a how to, but like what you need to do if you are, I guess, feeling exhausted or overwhelmed, or you've got too many things going on or stressed out, whatever. And it actually comes out to still digging deep. Um, but the acronym is DIG, D-I-G. Um, so I'm just going to read a little, this little bit that I highlighted. She says um, that people get when they need to focus, they get deliberate so that's your D in their thoughts and their behaviors through prayer, meditation, or just simply setting your intentions. Uh, they get inspired to make, so that's your I, to make new and different choices. And then going, they get, they take action, they get going, which I feel like that was a nice little starter, I don't know, primer to get you in and just think like, okay, this is our mindset. Like, this is where we're going with this. We're going to be, you know, taking a step back rather than letting the perfectionist in you think, so for me, for example, um, when my baby is napping, this is my time that I can do work. And so the perfectionist in me thinks you have this limited window of time, do your work, get in there and do it. But on Monday, NPR was a super downer for me. And I heard a lot of things about how the world is just on fire, like quite literally burning up. And so when it was my time to sit in front of my computer and work, I just stared at my computer and was like, I feel overwhelmed. What is the point? Um, so I didn't come back to the dig, but I definitely did allow myself the time to feel the emotions. I talked to somebody else about it. I was able to like get it off the table, get it out of my head a little bit and maybe get out of my head a little bit and then move on and do a little work. So anyway, I guess that's my little share for digging, for trying to dig deep, um, you know, take a step back. And I think that's what we're looking at here is that we're going to be trying to, you know, kind of tackle perfectionism by stepping back and not trying to be perfect. Um, but as it turns out, it comes down to a whole bunch of things. Yeah. And then she has the, the very end, she talks about what she hopes to contribute to us and our 
lives. Um, and she, she always ends every chapter with this cute little niceness. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to read it. Owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy. The experiences that make us the most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. So, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of people who don't, you know, you feel nervous to own who you are and be who you really are in front of everybody because, you know, I guess maybe it feels like a very middle school thing to be nervous of how people are going to think of you. But Well, I... One of the parts that I really liked, and I think what's going to be really interesting about this book is that in order to live wholeheartedly, we kind of have to do all of the things that like our gut in always trying to protect ourselves from getting hurt, which I think the brain and people just naturally do in order to live wholeheartedly. We kind of have to go against the grain on mm -hmm. that stuff. And so instead of trying to protect ourselves, we just got to like put it all out there. Mm -hmm. And like what I mean by that is admitting to my friends that I made meatloaf with turkey and just like hoping that nobody that friends. yeah like quits <laughs> talking to me um but you have culinary courageousness <laughs> I, that's right and don't you forget it um but one of the parts that i really liked in the introduction that i highlighted um is this little quote where she says courage sounds great but we need to talk about how it requires us to let go of what other people think. And for most of us, that's scary. Compassion is something we all want. But are we willing to look at why boundary setting and saying no is a critical component of compassion? Are we willing to say no, even if we're disappointing someone? Belonging is an essential component of wholehearted living. But first, we have to cultivate self-acceptance. And why is this such a struggle? Hmm. I highlighted that. I think... Too, just because compassion is always something I think we always, I personally always kind of correlate with other people. Like I'm doing something for other people, not doing something for myself. Mm -hmm. And so like being compassionate to myself and being like, all of those things have never really been my way of thinking. It's always been what, how that relates to someone else. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I highlighted the very beginning of this section. Um, and it says wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion and connection to wake up in the morning and think no matter what gets done and how much left, how much is left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging because that one spoke to me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Sure. I think there's going to be a lot of really good stuff. I just think that we were in such a Glenn and Doyle mindset yeah. of like her style of reading that this is just like kind of a big swap for us, but we can do hard things. Yes. And she actually says that in here too. Um, I read this book initially, initially like two years ago. So rereading it is really great because in that time frame, I also went to therapy <laughs> and I really learned that being vulnerable is not, is like to me the worst ever. And so reading this book, I'm already kind of catching where I'm like, where I've grown and evolved into a person that can be vulnerable when like previously that would have been like, I would rather be anywhere, but, but in a space of being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's uh, 1000% me too. Same. Um, I was like, and my vulnerability, I don't know if this is the same for you, but my vulnerability was like, I don't know how to describe this because I feel like vulnerable, like sounds like this great big word, but my feelings were that I was always afraid to give too much of myself love or, um, I was too afraid to give, um, or show like all of who I am, every single bit of me, because I was afraid that if I gave too much, I wouldn't have anything to take back if I got hurt. I like, I was with it. It was that with my, like with Rob, I was like that with my family. I was like that with his family. Like what the hell, how do you cultivate a good relationship? How the heck did we make it this far? And I was like, not giving my full self. Yeah. But thank you therapy. I know it's great. Push. Thanks therapy. Yeah. And I mean that for me, but also I just heard for enough years that like, I wasn't this enough and I wasn't that enough. And if I just did this, then like this guy would love me more and blah, 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 blah. So like by the time that relationship relationship ended, I just was not in a space where being vulnerable and being myself and like letting somebody see me, I didn't feel like that I was a person that like, you know, be worthy of somebody because like, this other guy told me how awful I was all the time. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that'll, I mean, that can, yeah. that can really hurt deep for long, for sure. It's, it's really funny because I think that being on the radio, I, it's not something I like the vulnerability part of it. When you turn on a mic and you're talking to thousands of people like you, I don't know, you just learn to kind of like put it out there. Um, and then just live with whatever happens. So like, I'm kind of the opposite of you guys. Like mm-hmm. I would have this tendency to like say too much and then put too much out there. And then I'll go home and be like, Oh gosh, like maybe I shouldn't have said that. And like <laughs> rethink everything and then think about it for three weeks. Um, one time I did call Aretha Franklin, Urethra Franklin live on the air. And like, that was, <laughs> that Whoa. sticks with me. You guys, that's, that sticks with the gal. Okay. Yeah. We all have those moments where something sticks with us and really like, yeah. that was that was one of those moments. That's a good one. <laughs> so I've been there. When you're like painfully embarrassed by stuff, you get to a point where you're just like, Meh. and so I've I'm the total opposite, which is why I freaking love doing this book club with you guys because there's so many different just like perceptions of the same thing and it's awesome. Yes, so I agree. I already learned two new things thanks to Jesse, the teacher, teaching us. Yeah. Oh gosh. Coming in here with the extras. I, that's why I was also going to add if you, I think if you watch her Netflix special before you read, helps you understand her and get to know her and then yes. it makes reading easier. Well, I yes. know what I'm doing after this. And it's you can so just good. like read it in her voice. I, I don't know yes. if you guys can do in that. Her, but like, like when Southern I read, accent. Yes. I actually like yes. learned that, that some people don't hear voices when they read and they don't like visualize. But I like I can hear her reading it in my head when I read it, so it's even better. Yes, yeah. I have Watch been her listening Netflix to special, it. and then oh, you have yeah, so you'll know yeah. her voice. It's not. But... I was used to Glennon's. I'm, I'm having a hard time. I've never. This has not been a thing for me, and I'm like I usually love Southern accents because I was born and raised there for a while. And but I'm hmm, I'm I'm finding myself partial to the book, reading it myself. We'll get there. We just got to keep trucking. I'm going to keep trucking. All right. So courage, compassion, and connection, the gifts of imperfection. That is me. So she does tell a story in this chapter about a um, presentation or 
time that she was speaking to a group of parents um, that like a principal had called her to speak to them and she didn't know exactly why she was there, but she definitely saw that the parents were not seeming to be very receptive to her. And she was doing her usual um, kind of spiel that she goes through when she speaks to groups of people. And uh, she, she had one guy that was very visibly unhappy to be there and kept kind of like humping and being all grumpy and stuff. And she said instead of trying to figure out what, what was going on, she tried to overcompensate and like woo him and be overly dramatic with her arms and get louder and be animated. And um, it was awful for her and it was not a good experience. And she later learned that the parents were having a habit of kind of hovering in the classroom and the principal wanted her to speak to them and basically tell like in a way to teach them not to do that and to like um let them know that that wasn't okay so she was completely uncomfortable with this situation she then talks about the importance of having people in your lives and or in our lives that we can talk to about the embarrassing hard things that we go through and um, they need to be people that, that are worthy of hearing these stories because their reaction is going to be very impactful on us. So she calls her sister, was able to talk about it and was given the compassion that she needed in that moment to like, you know, deal with her with her emotions on it. She discusses too, which I love about her. She's very open about what's difficult for her, which helps me be open about what's difficult for me because I'm like, if Brene Brown can do it, I can talk about this stuff too. And she acknowledges that she's always been the person that um, tries to take care of things. And she's never been the person that goes to other people for help. So for her to talk to, I think her name is Ashley was, was a big deal. And Ashley felt very grateful that Brene talked to her and, and, and they had this great connection. In this chapter, she says courage and compassion and connection are the gifts of imperfection. And um, when she speaks about courage, she says that courage originally meant to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. And I loved that. So I highlighted it. And then she kind of goes on to talk about what courage means today is really more about being like heroic and brave and like using your strength to, you know, fight battles that way. But she believes that ordinary courage is about putting our vulnerable vulnerability, that's a hard word, vulnerability on the line. And in today's world, that's pretty extraordinary because I mean, everybody, like we're not supposed to cry and be sad or let someone know when we're hurting, whether we're a man or a woman, it's, you know, looked down upon. She says, um, every time we choose courage. We make everyone around us a little bit better and the world a little braver. And our world could stand to be a little kinder and a little braver. And with that, she's talking about, I know snaps. She's talking about um, one example she used. Her son had a preschool program and she noticed that, you know, all the kids were trying to look for their parents. And there was one little girl that was very sad because she couldn't find her mom. Turns out her mom wasn't there because she was like caught in traffic or something. And um, 
when they're all in the classroom, you know, talking with the kids after the program, the mom comes running in and looks stressed out and worried. And she's just trying to locate her child. And this other mom looks at her, like rolls her eyes and is like, oh my gosh, to her, I can't believe you didn't show up type of a response and walked away. And Brene, I love it because Brene was like, I was going to go find this mom and kick her ass. But he's like, before I had that chance, these other two moms walked up to that initial mom and was like, hey, we've all been there. You know, like, it's okay. Don't feel bad about this. And I, I mean, that was wonderful because we all have stressful lives. Like, it's not easy to be everywhere at once. I feel like I'm all over the place. Sorry. But yeah, it's kind of weird to get a handle on how to. It is. Chapters. I wanted to say also that um, it's all not just what kind of moms we should be, but what kind of humans we should humans. be. Because... Yeah. If you see somebody struggling, like be like, hey, I've been there. Like, it's yeah, it's totally. okay. I remember like I have talked about this. I have a speech impediment that sometimes comes up, sometimes doesn't. But when I was a kid, it was really bad. And I worked at a grocery store when I lived in Utah and this one kid came up, I worked in the deli of it. And this kid was coming up to like order food and he was really struggling. And I just like, I, (laughs) I like stopped what I was doing. And I was like, I said, take your time. It's like, I've been there. Just breathe. And he like, I don't know. He just looked very grateful. Like I thought he was going to cry. And then I was like, oh, don't cry. Cause like, that's not my intention, but like we all struggle and you have to have those moments when someone meets you at that level and they're like, we've been there. It's fine. So I like the fact that she brings that up. Yes. Um, So in, she also discusses boundaries and compassion and the importance of having boundaries better. We are at accepting ourselves and others, the more compassionate we become. And it's difficult to accept people when they're hurting us or um, like stepping over our boundaries. So if we set boundaries and stick to them and hold people accountable, her theory is that we're able to be more compassionate because um, if you're setting a boundary, then you are less likely to kind of attach angry feelings and uh feelings of dislike for that person because you're just letting them know like I'm holding you accountable I'm not dislike I'm not attacking you as a person I'm not attacking your character I'm telling you here's my boundary if you cross it like that's it and that if you don't set boundaries and you don't hold people accountable then you end up shaming and blaming people and that is toxic to your relationship whether it's your couple whether it's like your spouse your partner your parents whatever. Um, and then, so lastly, she, dis- she discusses connection and she defines connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. I also highlighted the importance of, um, with kids, that those especially this is not in the book but my little soapbox how important how important the first five years are for a kid and to have positive interactions and uh really engage with the kid because that connection is huge their brain is you know making all these connections and building and growing and it has such lasting effects but that's my years in early head start telling me that so Let's see. So she says, until we can receive with an open heart, we are never really giving with an open heart. When we attach judgment to receiving help, we knowingly or unknowingly attach judgment to giving help. 
it's easy for us to to maybe like reach out to a person and and offer them help if we know that they're hurting or if we have an idea that something's hard but it's really hard for us to tell someone else i am hurting or this day was really hard for me can you please help me by doing this and um like i know i do that like i'll attach a judgment to myself of like i don't want to ask for help because i don't want to look weak or like you know whatever but if i'm offering help to someone else i don't believe that person's weak it never crosses my mind like oh you can't handle this let me do it it's like let me take the load off of you because you don't need to do this <laughs> but i can't give myself that own totally like, that same recognition I feel this feels very I win to me that part like (laughs) just you're totally willing to give help but then the moment someone asks you're like oh well if you want to I seriously listened to this part over and over highlighted it and I'm still doing that like even tonight I asked Rob to help me pick some sweet corn for a guy if anyone needs sweet corn by the way um and I was like I'm gonna go pick eight eight dozen ears of corn and he was like okay and I'm like if you want to come with me you could and he's like yeah i'll come like why why didn't i just say can you come help me like yeah she talks about the like cultural importance that we have placed on going it alone yeah so like it's we feel successful or we feel we portray success best when we go it alone Mm -hmm. when we don't need the help and when we don't ask and so it's cultural it's just like ingrained in us and I wonder, then you start to think of like, I wonder how that's fought. Like, where did that start? How did that foster? Like, what types of things do I say or do sometimes with the students I work with that might be contributing to that? Right. Mm. Yeah. Sorry for my inappropriate laughter. It's Nikki Conrad. <laughs> Are you, do you see the comments, Kayla? No, why don't I see it? Oh, here. I don't, oh, I can't click it. Remember, you have to go to the comments. Well, shit. Nikki, Nikki, now I'm going to ghost out. I need sweet corn. (laughs) (laughs) I need sweet corn, please. Click it, click it, Kayla, click it. Yeah. Oh, I have to click it. I see it now. Now click the other one because we should talk about that. Yeah, we should talk about this. This is great. Um, So I don't know if you can see... Yes, you can can see see that whole thing. So I'm going to read it just because um, we're going to play this back. So Nikki said, leading with empathy and compassion has been one of the best things I've trained myself to do for me and for others. Uh, Snaps. I 100% agree. Yeah, totally. It's, I mean, but it's so hard, but it's like a, you have to actively put yourself into the empathy, compassion station you have, Mm -hmm. I mean, because I'm definitely the person where she was like wanting to kick that mom's ass. That's my first go-to emotion. My first response would have been to be like, who the hell are you woman? I mean, pushing people down. Can we push people down? Yeah. Nikki's got another comment. She says, I feel that going in alone comment in my soul, glad to have people in my corner to go in there with me. Well, and the part I was going to say too, about the going at it alone part is that for me, and we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, it's a total trauma response. Yeah. It kind of, because I think also the fact of the matter for, for me personally is that I trust myself. And so I know that when I am in charge of something, I know I'm going to get it done. And if something doesn't get done it's my fault and Mm. so for me a lot of the times it's just like I I preferred 
which some people just do like, and I'm just one of those people that just prefers to just work alone. Um, but also Nikki does need sweet corn. <laughs> okay. Nikki text me Megan, how many ears, but okay, also just tell me corn. what you want, what you really, really want. And then Billy's going to let me go pick a sweet corn and I'll hook some sisters up. I love that. I haven't had any stuff. yet this summer. <laughs> what? I've had so much already. Gwen has never had sweet corn. Oh, we got to change that. Iris had it twice now, and he's younger. What is going on? I'm a horrible mother. That's Gosh, this is Iowa. Lydia, what's beat, happening? Mom. What's happening? <laughs> Wait, what were we mom. saying before this? I had a thing to throw out there. That it was a trauma response. When oh, you do something yeah. alone, you know you're going to get it done. I wanted to say, but also, do you hate being micromanaged? Oh, I hate yes. being micromanaged. Isn't that it. fucking hilarious? Because yes. like, technically you want to micromanage, but you don't want to be micromanaged. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I just watched but it two times, times happen. Better than people in my house. It's so, <laughs> it's so hard to let it go. I constantly, okay. If Amanda and Anne are listening, here we go. I hate it when they get on Canva, but like, why? Because it doesn't matter. They're making something else that I don't have to do. They're taking something off my plate. I should be like happy that they're doing this work. But like Canva is technically my zone, but not really. I don't really care. So I'm saying this. If, if you guys are listening or hearing or watching, I'm not actually mad. I just, it's this dumb, stupid first response that I have. And I'm like, get out of there. Oh, just <laughs> kidding. Don't get out of there. It's fine. <laughs> Keep working. Yeah. Carry on. Uh, kind of going back to what Megan was saying, though, about how you have to like really try hard with empathy and compassion uh, towards the end of this section. She talks about, you know, the wholehearted journey and that it's not the path of least resistance and it's a path of consciousness and choice. Mm -hmm. So you really have to be conscious and self-aware and continually making choices that produce, you know, the results or follow the guideposts. And so it's like it's gonna be work and it's work every day it's not you read this and it's the how-to and it's fixed yeah right for sure good point thank you so should we move on next to exploring the power of love belonging and being enough um so i this chapter landed on me and we have like a general rotation that we kind of go in so with some expectation um exceptions in glennon doyle's book we kind of swap chapters around but i was exceptionally glad um to get this chapter because check this out this no one ever sees because i hide but i actually oh gosh what is with my camera i have the word love tattooed um on my wrist which nobody ever seen that one. No, nobody ever does see it because it covers my Apple watch. Um, and I went through a really, really, really tough time in like, um, 2011, Tony and I, who were now married, um, but we had been dating for about a year and out of nowhere, he broke up with me. He broke up with me on a Thursday and I found my apartment Friday and I moved out on Saturday. And it was one of those things where your life is set up one way. And then all of a sudden, like in the blink of an eye, it's completely different, like within 48 hours, which happens. It just, it is what it is. It's a part of life, but without the love of other people and just love in general, I would have never gotten through that time. And it was mainly at the time, the love of other people, Uh, not Tony, but you know, other people, (laughs) Tony came back at a later date. Um, but so I just, I love that this chapter landed on me because it's something that just like, it's just kind of 
you know, one of those things. So um, this chapter, she talks about love, belonging, and being enough. And she talks about what is the description of love and how it's one of those things that it's really hard to kind of pinpoint and put your hand on. And she said, if we want to fully experience love and belonging, we must believe that we are worthy of love and belonging. And so she talks about how worthiness plays such a big part in it because we have this tendency to believe like, well, I'll be worthy if everyone thinks I'm a good parent. I'll be worthy if I can lose 20 pounds. I'll be worthy, you know, like when my parents finally approve of me. But at the heart of wholeheartedness means worthy now, not if, not when, we are worthy of love and belonging now, right this minute as is. So understanding that like who we are is good enough. And there are no bars that we have to surpass, like we just whoever we are is good enough. And so then she talks about you know, defining these concepts. And she says, love is the mirror image of shame. We desperately don't want to experience shame and we are not willing to talk about it. Yet the only way to resolve shame is to talk about it. Maybe we're afraid of topics like love and shame. Most of us like safety, certainty, and clarity. Shame and love are grounded in vulnerability and tenderness. Now she says belonging is another topic um, because a lot of us confuse belonging with fitting in and they are not the same thing. So fitting in is assessing the situation and then becoming who you need to be to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, does not require us to change to be who we are. It just requires us to be. So then she goes into three issues that she calls truth. So the first one is love and belonging will always be uncertain. The second one is love belongs with belonging. And then the third one is a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all women, men, and children. So essentially with that one, we are just biologically, physically, spiritually spiritually wired to love and to be loved. So then she ends up finally were to the meatloaf. What is love? We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. She says it's not something we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow, a connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists within each one of them. We can only love others as much as we love ourselves. And that's huge. Uh, then she goes into belonging and she says, belonging is the innate human desire to be a part of something larger than us because this yearning is so primal. We often try to acquire it by fitting in and by seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. So like essentially we just have to accept who we are, but we're not able to accept love until we're able to like feel like we're worthy of it the way that we just are. So how even though these things don't really seem like they go hand in hand, they do. Um, and then in this, she talks about self-love and how um, practicing self-love means learning how to trust ourselves, to treat ourselves with respect, and to be kind and affectionate towards ourselves. So then she gets into this like interview she did where they were talking about cheating spouses and like 
can you love someone more than you love yourself? It was some radio thing. And this I thought was really interesting um, and kind of like a confusing mind kind of thing. But they talk about parents that struggle with addiction and they love their children more than they love themselves but they destroy their own lives. They hate themselves and they often damage their bodies beyond repair. So they say they hate themselves, but they love their children. But like, if you truly, truly loved your children, you would want to take care of yourself because the best way to be a great parent is to also be happy inside. And so like, that was one of those really confusing, like I can see where they say they would love their children more than they love themselves. But part of loving others means taking care of yourself. And I thought that was, I like she, that she used that uh, kind of analogy of like secondhand smoke and that yeah. at first no one really like people only believe that the smoker was impacted by the smoking and then come to find out secondhand smoke could be, you know, more damaging and dangerous than what the smoker was taking in. And I think that we see that a lot. And I see that a lot with youth that I work with that have trauma situations with parents where parents, you know, love their children and want to do the best that they can for their children, but maybe don't do the best for themselves. And then that, those things start to come out like in school age and you see, and you see those things. So it is that, that analogy was like perfect. I was like, I never thought about that. I feel like you probably get a front row seat to that quite often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The smoking analogy was yeah easy for me to understand. Loved that. Yes. Um, also highlighted with it. Um, but yeah, I was, it definitely, that whole part of everything. I was like, just every time it's always me thinking like, oh, I need to think harder and longer about who I am and what I look like to my kids. Because I, you know, I, I think I try to exude self-confidence, but, and I want them to exude the same thing. Um, but I don't always think I exude like self-love and show like what that means, you know, and, and then, yeah. And then just like the idea of thinking like, is this really the limit as much as I love myself as how much I can love my kids? Is that really it? I know Ooh. that makes you really mm. like, I better freaking love myself. It's <laughs> like, yeah, uh, these I want to love them unconditionally without yeah. conditions it's but so it feels bonkers. different like yeah. if I think it feels different because as a parent and even as a teacher like you have the tendency to want to put them ahead of you right and so like you want for them better than what you had for yourself and so mm -hmm. if I think the love is it's a different type of love so it feels different but like I just got done listening to um another audiobook called meant for more. And it's the same concept that we can only accept. We can only give out the love that we accept. It is the same amount. And so like, it's interesting because I'm seeing this like multiple times in multiple books. I mean, so it's gotta be legit. For sure. Yeah. I'd I say so. Love this part where she says that she agrees with these two. Um, one was a therapist or are they both therapists? Oh, mental health professional and then a therapist that she agrees with both of them. And she said, loving and accepting ourselves are the ultimate acts of courage in a society that says, put yourself last self-love and self-acceptance are almost revolutionary. Mm -hmm. That's like 100%. Like, I think we talk about all the time, treat yourself, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do we actually do it? 
Right. That's true. And I won't talk about my freaking marriage Every please, can please you please, just please okay. talk about it? We love please it. Do. We secretly love it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but I will say this relationship is the first relationship I've ever been in where there are, there's nothing attached to like his love. It's just like, I just love you for who you are mm-hmm. as a person. And we've been together like 10 years at this point ish, maybe nine. Mm. And, but like, honestly, the growth I've had as a human being into like really, truly loving who I am as a person and, um, acknowledging that like I need to do certain things for myself Mm -hmm. is really, he's a huge part of that because the other two significant relationships I've had in my life, it was, I had to fit into this little box that they wanted me to be in. And it wasn't who I was. And so it's like a completely different experience. And I I love him so much because he's a huge part of the reason why I can be who I am without feeling like I have to hide any of it. It does mm-hmm. feel easier, though, when you feel like you have permission, which is yeah. ridiculous. Like, Monday, this is off it's kind of on topic but um so we had those tornado sirens sunday night and Mm -hmm. my alarm for the day goes off in the 4 a.m hour and -hmm. those sirens had me up until freaking midnight yep and so my alarm went off at four i think i died inside i don't know if i ever (laughs) like really came back from that i got irrationally angry when they went off (laughs) yeah i know i probably just got a rash i don't know whatever it was (laughs) like it was not great and so that morning um or that afternoon I wanted to go home like I was at work I was like I got four hours of sleep last night I'm exhausted like I have oodles of PTO I want to go home and I did not go home I stayed at work until my eight hours was up and then I was like oh I can go home now like that's so stupid Mm -hmm. but like if somebody would have given me permission and been like hey you know what go take care of yourself I would have been like well, all right. The door wasn't even locked, <laughs> Kayla. Do- yes. yes. Wasn't right. even locked. Uh, That's oh, a great man. reference. It's but great. it's so true. Like when you have someone that allows you to be yourself, and I shouldn't even say allow because we all deserve to just be ourselves. But right. But makes you feel like you can be yourself without mm-hmm. any pushback or any yeah. like oh do you really want to do that like no I, yeah I still feel that though I still feel like oh are you sure are you sure you really feel that way like definitely that is still I still fall back on that like not believing I mean it's a constant daily thing that we have to continue mm-hmm. to do yes. but I still am I find it very hard to believe I know so now I think like what if I loved myself enough to say like you know what like, I'm not being that productive. It's okay for me to go home and take care of myself. Like, that probably, mm-hmm. like, would have been really great, and I didn't do that, and whatever. It's okay. But... When you know better, you can do better. Yep. Yes. You keep saying that today. I think Brene, too, is a huge proponent and advocate for play and rest. Oh, yeah. It's not everybody that's... Like, I think I've read, like, I've read, obviously read a ton of books. I like to read books on self-help, those types of things. They don't all, like, they say it, 
but like it's just once like she's really a proponent of that play and rest and is very adamant too about like if I don't get eight hours of sleep I'm worthless and so like I go back to bed I take a nap I do the things that I have to do so I was like yes I can still sleep say eight hours if I read this book <laughs> Brene said my, I could. Brene yeah. said I could. My eight hours is if I don't get three cups of coffee. So you oh. know, like if I'm at number two, I will pause what I'm doing to treat myself to my coffee. And it's going to be beautiful, yes. whatever it is. Yes. All right. Well, should we wrap this baby up with the things that get in the way? Yeah. So things that get in the way is in reference to what gets in the way of being able to feel the love and belonging and the courage. And so Brene uses a couple of stories to give examples of things that get in the way. So she talks about a conference that she got invited to speak at that she was super excited for until she learned of the guest list. And she as soon as she saw the guest list, she just kind of felt unworthy. She felt like, I don't deserve to be in this same group of people. It was like 16 people that were speaking. And she just felt like her, what she did and what she was going to talk about was nothing in comparison to these other people. Um, And so that was her kind of first story um, about that. And so when she shared it with her husband about being nervous and having writer's block and not being able to get into the mindset to prepare for this, Um, It led her to share another story about a time that she had spoke um, and and felt like it bombed and it didn't go well. And it was um, kind of as a result of not being authentic. She went into a presentation um, knowing what she was going to talk about. And then the person who introduced her said, oh, no, 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 we don't want you to talk about that. These are the things that we want you to talk about. And so she conformed and and did what the person wanted and perform. She uses this term perform all the time, like performing for people. And I was like, Oh my God, like it hits me in my soul. Like, I mean, sometimes as a teacher, you, I mean, all the time as a teacher, you're a performer. Um, but sometimes I think I'm, I don't stop performing. Like I'm constantly performing. Like I need an Oscar. I perform all the time. And, and so like every time she said that, I was like, Ooh, but anyway, so she tells this story to her husband and he's like, how come you never told me this? And And basically, she just wasn't vulnerable in sharing her shame. She didn't want to share it. She just wanted to internalize it. And that kind of sets the stage for talking about how impactful sharing shame and fear and any resistance to vulnerability is. And she used a couple of terms that, like, I wrote down that just made me laugh. Like, when she called shame the swampland of the soul, (laughs) I was like, yes, it is. And she's like it's all right to go there, but you can't live there. Like Mm -hmm. you can wade the water. You have to wade the water and go through it, but you can't live there and you have to own the shame and you have to tell the story to be able to go through it. And then, um, she talked a lot about the struggle for worthiness and then that hustle for worthiness. So along with the performing for people, her, her, continued use of that hustle for worthiness. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I definitely have found myself. I don't want to say hustling for worthiness, but I find worthiness in approval of others, not worthiness in how I necessarily feel about myself. Like if I can hustle and do good for other people, that makes me feel worthy. And I was like, Oh, I'm in the swamp. (laughs) I'm just hanging out here guys. Um, and so she gives, um, some shame resilience 101, like things you can do, um, 
and talks about how this struck me uh, as being very kind of, oh, okay, this is why the way I am. It says, this is why shame loves perfectionists. It's so easy to keep us quiet. Um, and so perfectionists don't want to highlight things that could be shameful, like, oh, I messed up or, oh, I didn't feel good enough or, oh, I'm afraid of this because that's not who we are as people. And I talked a lot about I'm a recovering perfectionist and untamed. And still, I struggle with it all the time. I am thinking about like upcoming work things that I have to get organized and presentations that I'm going to give and meetings that I'm going to be a part of. And I'm already like hyper organizing things and making sure they're perfect and like having other people look at them. And it's like, I don't need to do that, but I still continue to do it. Um, I think towards the end of it too, she talks about the difference between guilt and shame and the fact that guilt is I did something bad, whereas shame is I am bad. And so shame is the thing that gets in the way. It's not necessarily, um, it's not guilt, but, uh, I don't know. I think that was kind of it. What did you guys think? Catch anything else? Yes. I, mean, I, I think you had it. Yeah, totally. I, I think you had it too, but I just like want to add in one of the parts that I thought was really, um, interesting. Um, but she talks about the how to, dilemma and how to is such yes. a seductive shortcut and then she said most everyone reading this book knows how to eat healthy i can tell you the weight watchers points for every food in the grocery store i can recite the south beach phase <laughs> um grocery shopping list and the glycemic index like they're the pledge of allegiance we know how to eat healthy we also know how to make good choices with our money we know how to take care of our emotional needs we know all of this yet we are the most obese medicated, addicted, and in-debt Americans ever. And then she talks about how much access to information we have. Like we have more information, more books, more science, but we're struggling like we've never struggled before. And I think like I read that and I was like, Ooh. yeah, preach sister. Mm -hmm. So true. We actively choose what's not good. Yes. Yeah. Her story, too, about the that she had a little heading in there, the shame researcher heal thyself, <laughs> where she had created that kind of like blog. And it was her first like blog that she created and uh, had people commenting on it. And she had a picture of her and her friend that were uh, at the movie theater. And it was kind of like dark and blurry and wasn't really a good picture. And someone commented like, oh, that photo is awful. Like, why would you use it? And then she goes through all these stages of like how to respond like. And they were all very like condescending and super rude. Nice. And I was like, yeah. yes, that would totally be me. <laughs> that spoke to me. It, yes. They were just like mean and nasty and like pointing out their flaws. And so I was like, oh my gosh. But then it took her like going on a walk with her friend to realize like how they both kind of their reactions were so different and that what was courage for Brene might have been courage for her friend in a similar situation. So, but the sharing of the story was the powerful moment. Had she not yeah. done that, she never would have got there. It's so right. true. Like putting it, like, instead of just sitting with it, I'm, um, so I manage social media. So I'm on there all the time. And instead of, I have found that when I share something that I think I'm rightfully mad about, um, I like, I tend to be, either I realize it while I'm saying it or somebody tells me after the fact that maybe this person is coming at it from this direction and possibly it's not something to be mad about. <laughs> but yeah. that just like that story 
yeah, just that one spoke to me on so many levels. And I was like, that is my knee jerk response. That is me. Mm -hmm. 1000%. Yeah. And definitely some people have actually already received those sort of reactions. (laughs) (laughs) I don't always stop myself. I usually I'm like, Keenan, I want to say this. And he'll be like, don't say that. (laughs) Okay, fine. I need someone to give me a reason why not to say it. (laughs) It's really good that you're just like, fine. Fine. I I know. I used all of those comments uh, during the last election. I don't have anything left in me. (laughs) I lost myself so bad on Facebook. (laughs) Like, I just had so much anxiety just about everything that was happening that I'd be, I could just, like, I just lost myself for like six months of just wanting to fight everybody about Mm -hmm. everything. And then once the election was over, I think I completely withdrew. And then Mm -hmm. um, a friend of mine, Mike, what's up? He is a avid books that make us better listener. Um, He's like, man, yeah, you've, you've been really quiet on social media lately. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know, man, I used it all up. (laughs) I I went from one topic to another. I went from politics to COVID. No, I just, I don't even know. There may have been some overlap, but. Well, it's just, what is, I not to bring it back to Glennon. But she says to sit in the things that make you upset. Yeah. yeah. Sit the in it. swamp land of the, the soul. S- the swamp land. Hang in the swamp. <laughs> when you said swamp land, I heard drain the swamp. Drain. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. Why do we have to take it there? Sorry. Uh, um, I will say that one part. Well, there's two parts of this chapter I want to bring up. One um, is when she is talking about guilt versus shame. And, um, using shame to parent teaches children that they are not inherently worthy of love. And I feel like you can can ask my dad this because we have this discussion and he teases me about it good naturedly, but I never ever tell my children like, Oh, you're naughty or whatever. Or, Oh, you're bad. No. Like what children hear is what they believe and what they live is what they believe about themselves. I, my dad likes to give me some shit about it, but you will never hear me say that. And if anybody ever says that to my child, I will let them know how I am not okay with that. Like, I don't ever want my kids to feel like they are bad. Like they might do something I don't like, but that does not mean that they are bad people. And I just really strongly believe in, in the power of words to our kids. Mm -hmm. Totally. Well, that's when you get into a lot of the millennial jokes. Yeah. (laughs) Like millennials are so soft, but like to me, I just think millennials are a lot more emotionally intelligent. Yeah. And like, I don't think that I don't believe in talking to Liam or any kids in the way that I've heard parents of different generations Mm -hmm. speak to others and it's not my jam and I'm just not going to do it. And if that makes me a snowflake, then Put on some, put on a stocking hat and some gloves because (laughs) it's snowing, baby. Same. Yes. I mean, I, that's, yeah, same. Like the, um, we, we err on the side of like, well, everyone makes mistakes. Let's try, we'll try better next time. Mm -hmm. We'll try to do it differently next time. Like no big deal. Um, it's definitely hard to hold your patience in if it's been a full 24 hours. And yes. you're like, ah, we're at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
I mean, definitely. Cause I think I was, you know, I mean, I think we all probably are in that generation that heard like you're being bad or you're yeah. not or yeah. Yes. And you, like, and you really internalize that. You do. And also kind of on that same note, um, I don't remember where I read this or what, but saying to the kid, to your kid, like, you're making me angry, like, mm -hmm. shouldn't be said because you are in charge of your own emotions. So like, right. to, like, don't put that on your kid that right. it's their responsibility. Yes. And yes. I've caught myself saying that. And I've literally, I've literally like stopped mid sentence because I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, nope don't do it Lydia <laughs> and it's hard that one's yeah. a hard one for me but it, that's like a hard balancing act too because I still also want like her to think about empathy yes you know and like and her, her words yeah can cause different emotions yeah but I think maybe we're maybe on that topic you may be thinking more of like hurt but yeah I mean also you know thinking about the things that you say sometimes can make somebody sad or angry right obviously they're in control of their emotions but still right see that's my confliction because like yeah i'm not responsible for your reaction but at the same time how do you tell your kid that like what they're doing is setting you off for whatever reason i don't know I haven't figured that one out yet if anybody has tips well let me know i yeah, always use comments i use the i feel yeah, yeah. that's that's good i should Hey, dude, I feel really frustrated when blah, 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 blah. Yeah, That's one really of my good. friends has that. She has like a mantra. She says, when you do blank, it makes me feel blank. And so I feel like that maybe opens the door for communication. But I yeah. still feel that. I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe that, that balances it. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> Jesse. Yes. I feel sad. When you tell me I shouldn't use turkey in my meatloaf. <laughs> like that. Like that would be like a really perfect. good example. Communication doors are open. I thought, go ahead. Would you, I thought you she would, No, I thought you were going to say, I feel sad when you tell me you're going to come work out on Tuesday mornings and don't. Oh, well, also that. <laughs> I was like, just... great. I'm being shamed live online. <laughs> no, no. I wasn't Instead, even she shames herself. Yes. I'm still thinking about my meatloaf. I'll... I am not thinking about your meatloaf. Please don't invite me over. <laughs> I will bring you some tomorrow. You're going to open your front door and it's just going to be like meatloaf. I need meatloaf. to know what sauce you put on this turkey loaf. I... Because like for me, it's, I mean, it's got to be like the mustard, ketchup, brown sugar. But that sounds terrible on turkey. Like, why do y'all think turkey tastes so much different than beef? I don't get yeah. it. What? Because protein. it's poultry. I don't know, guys. It's all the same to me. And also, this this last thing I have to say about this meatloaf, and then I swear, I'm sorry it came back to this, um, but I don't know how people cook it in loaves, so I just put it in, like, a 9 by 12 like, glass baking thing, and then I just, like... So she it's made really fucking like, turkey brownies. Okay. <laughs> I did. Oh my god. Yeah. Wait, but what but no, back to the sauce. What the hell did you put on there? Um, well the recipe came with um There's a recipe for turkey brownies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, the brownie is all on me. It's oh. like that just I didn't know how to loaf it. Um so <laughs> I'm sorry I even said that statement. But um <laughs> <laughs> the recipe you're supposed to put it in a loaf but that didn't 
seem right to me. And so I just like <laughs> smashed it into the glass thing and then I baked it. And um, the recipe said ketchup and brown sugar. Um, but that's too refined for me. So I just like knife it out and then scoop it with the fork, which that's when it falls apart. So that's when I was trying to ask you, like, how do I keep it together? Um, and then I just dip it in ketchup. <laughs> that's so it wasn't really meatloaf. No, I mean, it was, never, it, was never, it was never meatloaf to begin with. Like, it I was like, like, it was like a big meat patty, but turkey. No, you made you made that a crumbly. You made oh. like a, a ginormous turkey burger that you didn't put in a bun. No, that can't yes. be. Because I think you I did. Used, listen, I used eggs. I used panko. Like, who am I? Um, <laughs> parsley, garlic, salt, pepper. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was it. And then. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm, yeah. I understand. Yeah, the like, I feel like that's meatloaf. Mm-mm. Like I've never made it. Well, I've never made a turkey. You burger. forgot onion. Oh, no I cheese. did add onion. I added oh. onion. No cheese. Cheese goes in meatloaf. The recipe didn't call for Keep cheese. Trying. Your recipe's fucked. Where up. did you get this recipe? Your recipe's fucked up. Uh, actually, <laughs> actually from um, a website called I Love Naps, which. <laughs> I don't think they should be giving about. advice on. Meatloaf. They're gonna get naps. It's not I love cooking. <laughs> They're going to get a lot of hits after this episode. Almost. Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of Books That Make Us Better. Next week, we will continue to dive into The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown by talking about the next two guideposts. So that is your reading assignment. We will talk next week. <laughs>